All right, welcome to the Peyton Years, your home for Oregon State men's basketball, the only podcast in existence dedicated solely to Oregon State men's basketball. As always, I'm your host, Andy, and I'm here with my friend, Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing great, Andy. You know, it's we've gotten to a time of year where where the kind of the theme is is giving thanks, of course, and and I know I speak for you when I say there's there's nothing we're more thankful for, of course, than the Oregon State men's basketball program, and so happy to be sitting down covering another week of the adventure that is the 22-23 season, <clears throat> and a lot of exciting stuff coming up. So. Yeah, yeah, we're going to look at Oregon State's uh, previous two games, including their first loss of the season to Portland State, also the first loss in program history to Portland State, as well as look ahead to drum roll, please. But I hope that sounded like a drum roll. The Duke game on Thanksgiving. We'll give a preview of all of that. But first, as always, the Oregon State fight song. <laughs> It really soothes the soul after a disappointing result. You get a nice glimmer in your eye when that happened. Every single time. Yeah, so disappointing result, uh, true. But let's start off with a positive. Oregon State beat Bushnell. Heated in-state rival Bushnell. The I-5 rival to the south. Um, 83-66. Sam, what stood out to you from the game? An interesting game. I mean, when, when I think about the Bushnell game, obviously this was this past Tuesday. So, you know, we'll go into a little bit more detail of the, the Portland State game. But a team that you should be a lot more talented than across the board. And I think that was clear. Um, the Beavers won by a wide margin despite their center, who I can't remember his name, going off. He was a terrific player. He would have helped any of the other um, teams that the Beavers have played this year. I mean, so the fact that he is – don't let the fact, if you didn't watch this game, that he's an NAIA player fool you. He was a Division One talent, and um, uh, he was the big difference maker for them. Uh, outside of that, though, a lot of guys played well. They didn't shoot tremendously well, but still won by a comfortable margin, scored 83 points. Lots of positives. Yeah, lots of positive from the game. Uh, the player you're talking about is Spencer Hoffman, who's the yes. 6'11 center for the team, a D2 transfer. I think he went to Colorado Christians, what they said on the broadcast before transferring home. He's from Eugene. Um, yeah, he had 27 and 11. He looked really good. He had a couple of three. He was really just doing it all on offense. And the only player who could match the size for Bushnell, which, like you said, is an NAIA team, that size is really what killed them because they shot – Oregon State was just too big to them. Oregon State shot 52%. Bushnell shot 32%. And a lot of that just has to do with athleticism on the wings, not being able to guard Glenn Taylor, who led the way with 19 points, not being able to stay with Jordan Pope, not being able to hang with Akano. And also, like, you saw Runier get a couple of dunks back-to-back. -back. Just every player on the Oregon State was more athletic than this Bushnell team, which is what you would expect from an NAI team. You would hope to see maybe a bigger margin of victory, but, um, you know, Oregon State shot – what was it? Um, they were outshot on the threes, five to twelve. Oregon State went five for twenty. So you make right. more of those. That's been a common theme: is this team's inability to really to kind of be consistent from three point land. Yeah, I mean, you shoot five of twenty from three and still shoot fifty two percent from the field. That obviously means they were getting a lot of good looks at the rim and finishing. Um, but it is 
a cause for concern, I think, a little bit. And it was definitely a factor in, in the Saturday game. Yeah, let's jump into, into it. So Oregon State uh, had their first loss of the season to Portland State, 79-66. This is also Oregon State's first program loss in history to Portland State. Um, Glenn Taylor had a great game. He had kind of the bounce-out game that I've been predicting where he had 25 points, 6 for 8 from the floor, 13 from 15 from the free throw line. So really just made a man on a mission to get to the rim. It was looking really good. Hit a couple of jumpers for the first time this season. But outside him, not a ton of positives. You saw kind of a troubling injury to Andela, which really – Hurt the team. I don't know if we figure out an uh, update on that. I couldn't find one when I was looking around online. No, I mean, it, all all we can say is that he looked really upset. I mean, we had shout-outs real quick to Trevor for hooking those seats up. Um, we had a great view of it. We were very close to the bench, and um, I, I just fear that it's the same foot that he broke. He obviously didn't break it again because he was walking around on it and everything, but it was pretty clear – he was not going to play in the second half after that. Yeah, that was tough because he started the game. You kind of wondered how long they were going to be able to keep Andel on the bench because he's just been clearly outplaying Shoal on the offense and defensive end, just being a really good, what you would hope for, for like a senior leader who played for his country's national team over the summer, just coming back strong, looking like a man among, you know, young adults, really. And so you were wondering, like, uh, how long is he going to be the sixth man, even though it seemed to really flow with the offense? He started this game, and when he went out in the second half, I think that really kind of played into Portland State getting so many rebounds. It was only a 30-27 to rebounding advantage for Oregon State, which is not what you want when you're facing a big-sky opponent. No, and at one point in the game, it was much wider than that, too, probably around when – Rodrigue first went out. He grabbed five and ten minutes. I mean, it, it's clear, and that's without playing in the second half at all. It's clear that his absence was the biggest difference. Yeah, and although this is one thing I kind of wanted to bring up with you and just pick your brain on because I've really been liking the offensive flow, even if it hasn't necessarily generated into always smooth offense. I I really liked having Andela come off the bench as a six man and really focus on getting buckets in his time. I was worried that if they started him, that there's too many mouths to feed almost because you want to get Pope and Akano and Taylor going. It's kind of the primary offensive fulcrum in my mind for this team. And then Dell is a good second way. But when they all started together, uh, it seemed to be a little more disjointed. I don't know. What did you think about the move to bring Adele into the starting five? I, I do agree that optimally or ideally he he plays that six-man role and, and probably finishes most games and is – is still in the top three or four in minutes played. But, um, you know, th this was Scholl's biggest struggle of the four games by far. And I just think after um, after he got cooked a time or two by Spencer Hoffman against Bushnell, that it's an understandable decision by Wayne to decide that, that the he's been so much less effective than Andela. At some point, you make that decision. You just start him. Yeah, Shaw played eight minutes, uh, no points, zero shots, two rebounds. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, not what you want from a starting center. Not bringing the defense necessarily like he was at the very start of the year either. Looking for him to have a bounce back game because he's going to be pivotal to Oregon State's success, having that one-two tandem of him and Andela. Uh, to me, the difference between because he he was much better in the first two games against Tulsa and Florida A and M than he was the last two, and those two teams aren't necessarily worse at all than obviously Bushnell or Portland State. You could argue at least Tulsa's better. Um, 
Yeah, I think the biggest difference, I believe, we we cut out for a second, so I apologize. Yeah, sorry for the technical difficulties. For <laughs> a a community pause. college student just got a cup of coffee thrown at them by me for that mistake. That's our intern. But anyways, um, I believe what I was saying is that the biggest difference with Shoal between the first two games and second two was that both Tulsa and Florida A&M offensively tried to pull them away from the basket with a lot of ball screens because they were so much smaller and they were just trying to get him away from the rim. And he handled that very well, I thought, um, where Portland State just kind of had guys with a little bit more size and they were just very physical and, and came right at him and didn't really bother with trying to pull him away from the basket as much. And he struggled with it. Yeah, we should say Portland State was an incredibly physical team, and they were hyped out of their mind for this game. We had seats right behind the Oregon State bench. We got there early to watch them warm up. And the Portland State team really did put on, like, a crazy dunk show. <laughs> they, I'm, I'm a little bit sold on them. I think they've adopted the personality of their coach, who was every bit the maniac up close that he seems to be when you watch his interviews and, and see his quotes about – not using heat in the winter to stay humble and not eating breakfast to stay hungry or something like that. Yeah. He has a lot of metaphors in his life. They do. They play extremely hard. Um, they, he uses a ton of guys and they, they, they were more talented than I thought they would be. Yeah. Well, they shot really shot really well. Or two players did. They were led by Jarrell Satterfield who's like a UTEP transfer who had 25 points and then Hunter Woods who had 19. Both of them are kind of like athletic, shooting guard wing kind of hybrid type players six four six six and they went to combine seven of 16 from three between the two of them osu as a team was two for 13. and that was the biggest difference in the game i mean like they did out you know on paper you out rebound a team by three it should have been more than that and you shoot from the field basically the same percentage you get a lot more free throws and you make a lot more free throws about eight more or something like that right yeah then you would think that team probably wins the game but when all that's true but you're also minus 18 in three pointers um it kind of negates all that yeah it was interesting being there in person because it felt like oregon state was gonna they didn't feel necessarily like the game was in control the entire time, but it felt like they were clearly the better team and had the better players. And you were just kind of waiting for them to pull away. Then they got up by about like six points in the second half. And you thought, here it comes. And then it kind of just totally flipped in the last seven minutes of the game were all Portland state. And they actually pulled away um, again, shout out to their coach. He had a really good kind of like feel for who to sub in when like Isaiah Kirby, who was the Portland State player with kind of like the long blonde dreadlocks, hadn't really done much all game, hadn't played too much. And he put him in the last six minutes and he had like six or seven points. Um, hit hit a couple, two huge threes. Yeah, two huge threes. So I don't know. It seemed like they had a, just kind of like a good pull. Someone was going for their team. And Oregon State just really struggled offensively. I mean, Jordan Pope had 14 points, so he scored in double figures in every game this season. But even his buckets were a little bit late. He's usually a lot more aggressive at the start of games, which I think, again, plays back into like kind of like when Adele's on the floor, he seems to always have such a mismatch. You want to get him the ball, but I think that takes shots away from the guards at the start. And they need to be getting Pope his shots. I mean, you got to get more than two, three pointers in a game. And he, he was the only one that made when he hit both of them. And it's the best way to get more threes is to get him more shots at this point. But they, Portland State did a really good job with them, too. Yeah, they played well. Uh, just, yeah, just they were, they were really hyped up. They were really aggressive. 
the Very scouting impressive. report is also out on Pope. I mean, teams are going to face guard him. We've seen it already a little bit. It's it's just going to get tougher. Yeah, it's not going to get any easier for him because he's clearly the most talented scorer. Not the most talented scorer because Glenn Taylor has obviously scored really well the last couple of games, but just like the most dangerous perimeter threat to shoot. And once you kind of key on him, it really clogs most of the offense. Yeah, I mean, it would help. I mean, Reevney has hit threes in, in other games, and, and he had some good looks. He he just kind of had an off night, but it would really help if someone else would have a big night and hit a few. I think it's coming for Crass at some point. Wayne tried him for a few minutes in the second half to see if he could give a spark. Um, Crass, Akano's putting him up at a fair amount of clip. He was 0 for 5 against the Portland State game. You like to see if he could get to a round, you know, mm-hmm. that's – 35, 40% range, that would open up everything for Oregon State. And he seems to be really comfortable taking them off the dribble, kind of in those step backs. Seems like he worked with them that a lot in the offseason. So maybe it's coming along. I think, yeah, he's another one where he's he's going to have a game soon where he hits three or four of them, and it'll, like you said, open things up quite a bit. So, yeah, tough pill to swallow, but a little adversity to bring this group down, kind of reinvigorate the coaching back in them. I don't know. I think a big thing for this team is just going to be finishing at the rim. And that's going to really determine if – because once you can respect them at the rim and draw more players in and they get more open threes, you can kind of work out this way. Right now, a lot of times, like with Akano this game, you need him to finish better at the rim. Yeah, he and Glenn both had a few. I think Reed, especially in the first half, they each – they all three of them had one or two looks where they, they didn't come – I think Retai also, he was one of five from the field. He played well at times, but – the first three games, I think he was eight of eight. Um, yeah, he was one so, of like four players who hadn't missed a shot in the country, and then yeah, I think he missed all of his shots. He he did get one layup, but yeah. So this was the first game where he did good things, but making shots wasn't part of it. Yeah, I kind of curious to see if he gets more involved in the offense because he's got good. Just seems to see the floor really well. Like he makes a couple of nice overhead passes, some good high low passes from him. Um, I thought him and Billado both yeah, made their strides. They're starting to gel. I was going to bring up Billado next. That this was probably probably his best game of the season so far of his career. He had seven points, but he had a couple of nice like inside moves. You saw a couple of fadeaway kind of mid range shots, a hook shot. Just going to get showing you that offensive arsenal that he was known for in high school. Yeah, that was going to like his closest to his high school self. He had a mismatch with size a few times and confidently kind of asked for the ball and and made something happen. Yeah. So you can tell the coaching staff really likes him and trying to get his feet under him. So hopefully that builds some confidence going into the, to the Duke game, which we'll get to here in a second, because right. that is going to be an all-hands-on-deck type of situation. Yeah, I mean, if, if Rodrigue's not available, they they got to roll with those guys, and they have to play heavy minutes against real bigs. And so they're going to grow up fast right before our eyes. <laughs> like they always do. Um Anything else you want to cover from the game? Just just a, a wonky game, and it blows to lose to Portland State because it's Portland State. But they – and maybe this won't age well if they don't have that great of a season, but they put, played a terrific game. And if they play like that in the big sky, they're going to win a lot more games. And, and this potentially is a loss that doesn't look so bad um, down the line, I think, but a kind of a wonky game. Are you dog-earing this for a potential good loss? I'm I'm dog-earing this that we could circle back potentially. I'm not calling it that right now. I, I think that's a little ridiculous at this point. For the listeners, that is going to be a glovey category this year's best loss. Best good loss of the season. I like that, yeah, because there will be some 
Well, hopefully not too many candidates, obviously, but at least one. I mean, hopefully this is the winner. We, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're seeing it now. Right. But uh, I the Beavers shot well for just funny things. Like Portland State hit a half-court shot at the end of the first half that, you know, figured heavily. At, you know, it, it was a big factor. It would have changed the complexity if they didn't have that. The Beavers got two flop technicals and missed both those free throws that, and, you know, that's a missed opportunity, even though they did shoot well at the line. There were just a lot of little weird things in this one. Yeah, Portland State shot really well from the line. I think they only missed two free throws. I think they went like 21 from 23. So those, they were down. Oh, no, wait. Sorry, that was Bushnell. <laughs> Them too. But I think they were like 13 to 15 or something yeah, like they were, that. Everyone, they were pretty dialed in. So good game by the Vikings. And, you know, we're Portland basketball guys. It's we can't we can't be too disappointed. No, I, and again, I mean, as as I like to poke fun at Jace Coburn, but they, he had them going at the end of last year, and has basically a whole new team that seems to be an even better fit. So yeah. they, and, I'm excited to watch them play some more. And I cannot stress how hyped that they were. Like multiple times, the referee had to come over and tell their bench to sit down because their entire bench was standing up cheering. Yeah, they um they they didn't do a ton. I mean, I've certainly seen a lot more, and I know you have too, like shit talking to the Beavers. They more were just kind of yelling at each other. Yeah, they were just and hyping, hyping each, each other, other up. Yeah. Which is a, a likable group. Very physical. You can't you can't call every foul. No. You know, at some point, and they really yeah they had embraced that. They had twenty four fouls. OSU had seventeen. Uh, Isaiah Johnson played well for them coming off the bench, but he looked he looked good. I think this is a good role for him. I think he'll get more work his way into even more minutes as the season goes on. He had a couple of moments where you could tell he wished they'd thrown him a lob for a big dunk or two, but just. A very he's still the impressive athlete that he always was. Yeah, I mean, happy for Isaiah. Shout outs to Isaiah Johnson, member of an Elite Eight team, you know, a member of the promise season team. So he'll forever have a place in our hearts. But he played well, and but that the dunk he missed, he was trying to rip the rim off. Yeah. Like really <laughs> send a message. But I think he's a very good fit, like a, a lot of guys on that team. Yeah, they've done a nice job building around an identity. Um, all right. Anything else you want to touch on before we move to the Duke game? We, I wanted to, just like one more observation I had about not to give Portland State too much love, but in their first three games or whatever it was, their leading scorer was Cameron Parker, and he took one shot in the whole game, and they still scored eighty points or seventy nine or whatever. I just think that's a sign of a good team. Yeah, he ran. He just essentially ran the offense. Hadn't. It was almost like he made it a point, like, I'm not going to shoot tonight unless I absolutely have to. Yeah, and other people were feeling it. So we did a nice job. And shout out to the Portland basketball OG, the Jesuit Crusader himself. Um, all right. Oregon State's next game is versus Duke on Thanksgiving here. at noon. PK Invitational, the opening game. It's in the Coliseum, I believe. It's in the Coliseum. We will be there. Our tickets are secured. We've got a great vantage point. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. This is the first meeting in school history between Oregon State and Duke, which is kind of surprising just with how long Oregon State has been around and how good they were, like, you know, for the majority of the basketball program, the 70s and 80s, that they haven't run into Duke before. Kind of wild they played them in football but not basketball. Yeah, that is at interesting. some point. <laughs> so what are you looking forward to from this Duke game? <laughs> first and foremost, I mean, I hate to sound negative, but I, I, I really hope – Rodrigue Andela plays. Um, I think he, much like I predicted for Jordan Pope, will will win a lot of people's hearts if he is, you know, full strength or close to it and and good to go for that one. Um, because if they don't have him, 
there's going to be a lot of beaver bias from the officials. I think Roddy is just so key in, in providing a physical presence and not allowing both officials and members of the other team to bully all our 18-year-old freshmen. Well, and you're going to need that. So right now, Duke is ranked number seven in the country. Uh, they're three and one, but when you listen to this, they'll probably be four and one because I think they play a Chaminade or somebody like that. They have a game, I think, uh, tomorrow. They, they play, they play Bellarmine. Bellarmine. They did yeah. beat Louisville. They did beat Louisville like everybody else in the country. <laughs> uh, yeah, they play them tomorrow. So I'll watch that and be interested to see how that goes. Yeah, so they're 4 and 1. They have a close loss to Kansas, 64 69. But it's kind of interesting. So this is John Sire's first year taking over for Coach K. And it's, it's almost kind of a retro Duke team in that they play really heavy through the post. And they have three kind of legitimate 6'10 to 7-footers with the star being Kyle Filipowski. Really, I don't think people – he was a McDonald's All-American. He's a freshman. I don't think people pictured him as the go-to guy this year, but he's really worked himself into that. He's been dominant. He's a great offensive rebounder. He's got some touch from the outside. He's just a big kid. He's going to be a problem. Then they also have Derek Lively and Ryan Young, who are both 6'10 plus, very big, very strong. They're just – Huge post players, yeah. If Andel doesn't play, it's going to be tough. It's already going to really test the limits of Oregon State's post depth. Right. I mean, even with with Andela, this would be the first game without a doubt where there's no size advantage to even try to to utilize. They're mm -hmm. huge, and those guys play together a lot. So they they have a very big front line. Roach is is the other big name from last year's team that made the final four and he's the point guard jordan pope's gonna cook his ass though yeah i was gonna say jeremy roast and tyrese proctor are kind of their backcourt right now roach was on the team last year proctor is a freshman um they're good i don't want to say you know the starting backcourt for duke is bad but they're it's definitely not the strength of this team and i do think that jordan pope if you put him on an individual skill level and this may sound like bias from someone who has a podcast strictly for the Beavers. But I do think Jordan Pope is better than both of their starting guards. And if you took off the jerseys, you'd say, why doesn't that kid play for Duke? Absolutely. And I mean, I guarantee you he's further along four games into his true freshman season than either one of those guys. Yeah. The other, the other thing to look for is Dariq Whitehead. Um, he came back last game for Duke. He was a McDonald's All-American. He was kind of hyped up to be their best player coming into the year. He got injured in the preseason. He's a small forward shooting guard. Looked really good in the Nike Hoop Summit. Yeah, a good player. It'll be tough if he comes back on the wings because that's another added score that's going to – and a really just strong athletic defensive presence that will make it tough on either Glenn Taylor or Akano. Also, Glenn Taylor, this is going to be a tough game for him. This is going to be a real test for him who's been wanting to drive to the rim every single game where there's going to be legitimate size and shot blocking at the rim every single drive. So we'll see how he does finishing. Right. I mean, he, he he has at this point made a three. He's shown a little bit more willingness to take and make outside shots in the, the past two games. But um, I think he's going to have to be willing to do that a little bit more even and have confidence to because they're going to sag off. I mean, the, they're going to dare him probably to beat him from the outside at this point. See, I'm doubt I'm doubting that. I figure that Duke presses and plays up really hard because Oregon State had 18 turnovers against Portland State. So I think that Duke sees that and they really go for the kill right off the gate. I wouldn't be surprised to see some pressing and really see more pressing than Oregon State has experienced early on. Yeah, Portland State did some, maybe not quite as much as I thought. Of the 18, 12 were in the first half, right? right. They've had two games now, Tulsa being the other, where they've been way, way too sloppy. 
at the start. Maybe it, it limits at some point the number of shots you're getting up because you're turning the ball over so much. And they, so they can't start this way against Duke. And I think, yeah, but I do think some of that too goes to will get better as time goes on. Cause I do think a lot of it, especially being up close and watching the Portland state game is it's still guys getting used to playing with each other. People who are brand new, you know, there's almost zero turnover from last year. So people are still learning how to read each other's body language, learning when you're going to cut, when you're going to fade out. And that's something that will develop over time just with the team chemistry, which already seems like it's going pretty well. Yeah. I mean, even just just observing the way they're communicating from the bench, and we and we got a chance to do that with last year's team, and it it really is a night and day difference. And so that, but it is going to be tested, obviously, to another level when you're playing Duke. Definitely. And then um, after Duke, they'll either play Florida or Memphis, correct? Yeah. yeah. So maybe we'll check back in with that. I'm predicting that uh, it'll be Memphis just because I don't have a lot of faith in Penny as the coach. Yeah, well, I, well I'm well, i predicting Memphis because I think they're going to upset Florida because the Beavers, of course, are beating Duke. Right, sorry. Yeah, yeah, so you're predicting Florida. You just misspoke there. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for reigning in. That's why you're the face of the franchise. Either matchup would be, would be a thrill. You know, it's a great opportunity. Again, they're two really, really talented teams. I haven't seen much of either one except for tidbits of them beating the shit out of inferior competition so we'll get a better idea um of them thursday as well yeah exactly a lot still to be determined in this very early college basketball season and we're excited for the ride um all right do you want to do some ken pompon rings on our way out yeah absolutely okay uh where do you think oregon state is ranked now in the country okay good to portland state well remind me uh, you probably don't have it i was gonna ask i think we're at 220 Two. Last time. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to say 228. Uh, we're at 239. What the <laughs> fuck? No one else drops that far for one loss to a comparably ranked team. Yeah, 239 in the country. Uh, yeah, you're not going to like that. I just – how does that work? Like Portland State was ranked very similarly to – To the, Oregon State. To, yeah. So why drop that? It just – there's so many inconsistencies in this. The more we look into it, it's driving me crazy. That seemed to only apply to Oregon State, though. Yeah, it does. Um, where do you think is Queens better or worse than Oregon State? Queens, the team that was famously ranked one spot ahead of Oregon State in the Ken Palm's preseason poll. It's their first year in D1 basketball. They are four and one. They are yeah, they're four and one. So they have essentially the same record as Oregon State. They're gonna they're they're gonna be ahead. Mm-hmm. They have an extra game, yeah. Yeah, they are ahead. They are two oh nine, so they're comfortably ahead. They're thirty spots higher. Who did they beat? Who is it? Is Marshall? I mean, god damn it! Yeah, they. Um, let me see. I have I have their thing pulled up right. I have here. such mixed feelings about. They Queens beat Marshall, Clinton, Green Bay, and Morgan State, and then they lost to LaSalle by twelve. Okay, so that's that's bore, especially for the first fucking year. Division one program, that's a good loss mm -hmm. category. So they're building a nice little resume. Um, we we do have a common opponent, I've realized, with Queens and Green Bay. So that will be very interesting. Yeah, that'll be a telltale sign. Um, Portland State, the team that just beat Oregon State. They're, well, they're going to be ahead now. Uh, no, they are not. No. They're 261st in the country. Oh, okay. Well, I thought they, they were still a better. Bit. Yeah, we're, we have a better record than Portland State. They do. I, I'm starting to think that they've played a pretty good solid schedule because Seattle's still undefeated and everyone thought Portland would be good. And, and Seattle they, had a great player at the Portland Pro-Am. Oh, yeah, that guy ruled. Um, 
Okay, and then last but not least, 0-4 Cal. Cal, who is in serious jeopardy of going winless. They play Texas Southern this week. That'll be a key game for them. I watched more of the Cal. Um, now, I uh, who was who was their last loss? It was a SWAC team. Yeah, Cal Southern. It was Southern University, who was also winless going into that game. And I watched more of that than than I'm proud to admit. But they are next level bad. I mean, I'm I'm kind of at a loss for words. I mean, the, the Pac-12, and that's going to be my shout out on the way out. Sorry to spoil it, but so I'll get into it more in a second. But the Pac-12 has been struggling with the SWAC, but that was a different story. That was one of the worst Division One basketball games I've seen all season. Yeah, Cal, I am so glad that I planted my flag and so that they would finish last in the Pac-12 this year because they are ungodly bad. We we've got some predictions that are that are shaping up pretty nicely, but that's the 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 most accurate one, yes. Mm-hmm. So do you think Cal at 0-4 <laughs> are they ranked better or worse than Oregon They've State? They've got to be worse now. They're actually the best ranked the highest out of all the teams that I've listed. They are 201st in the country. <laughs> we have proven that this is not a legitimate thing that he need What is the point of making like he put so much stock in his preseason ranking. It's so hard to budge from what your Ken Palm is when you're O and O. Yeah, he. Uh, I don't know. I don't 201st? know. Two hundred and first. Yeah. Queens would beat them by twenty five points. Yeah, exactly. It. And all you have to do is what the Ken Palm is sorely missing the eye test. <laughs> yeah, that's what it comes down to. They've yeah. got all these categories and rankings and none of them are just eye test no but that should be a category it feels like that should be something that he counts like a percentage wise yes like uh, the ability to observe the team play <laughs> all right let's uh let's get out of here uh what are some shout outs what any shout outs on the way out? i i want to shout out the 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 swat conference for um beating the pac-12 four different times this 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 pre-conference slate um not the beavers though the the beavers Beavers. took care of business against florida a&m but um mostly the reason i'm bringing this this up is is uh andy you know that any chance i get to to relate something back to the 2004 2005 j john nit team i'm gonna do it you can't help yourself no i can't it's at parties social gatherings any chance i get you know you'll see me with a martini around a fire regaling people with Stories of J.S. Nash and David Lucas and taking your monocle off and leaning <laughs> in close. Exactly right. Just having the whole room wrapped around my finger, talking about Jay John going into cardiac arrest at halftime against Washington because that evil Lorenzo Romar ran the score up, and then him getting his vengeance a month later. You see, he wanted to get Isaiah Thomas the Player of the Year. <laughs> exactly, and and he want and he did it at the wrong team's expense, and justice was served later that season at Yale. I'm sorry, I'm getting off track. You see my point, but you might be thinking that when Washington State went to Prairie View A&M and lost, that, that would be the first Pac-12 team to ever play a road game at Prairie View A&M, because why the fuck would anyone ever need to, except if it was part of a, a series, like a home-and-home agreement thing? Mm-hmm. Well, you'd be wrong, because for some reason, 
in November of 0405, that fateful NIT run, the Beavers played just a single road game against Prairie View AM for some reason. And they were like a winless team that season. And it remains one of those inexplicable mysteries that no one is interested enough but me to get an answer on. But they did win by three. And um, that's the kind of fun fact you get by listening to the end of this podcast. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's your treat. And then I'll just give a quick shout out to... Um, Felipe Palazzo, the uh, walk-on. This is his birthday today. Yeah, from Argentina. That's why I'm giving him a shout. Shout out to you. Happy birthday. And also, you know, he started off as a manager, worked his way up. Seems like a good kid. He was the only walk-on to play versus Bushnell. So. Yeah, he got in, and that, that was dope. And then I also want to give a shout out to uh, Redbox, who is still a sponsor of one of the giant signs <laughs> at Gil Coliseum, which I thought was really funny. Good for you, Redbox. So if you have a thriving small business locally, that's an opportunity for you. You could outbid them. And then, yeah, just shout out to Trevor. Those seats were amazing. Love to keep those coming. Would love those seats. Those were perfect. Thank you to Trevor once again. You're the shit. He, he got a kick out of us having gill dogs and gill beers feet away from the bench. Mm-hmm. Couldn't couldn't even put it down when the ball came over the bench flying at us. Yes, as did Coach Reveno gave us gave us props for that as well. That was a, that made us feel good. And uh, I guess I just want to say, uh, you know, what? fuck the ducks. Fuck the ducks. All right, go bees forever. See you guys versus Duke. And also fuck Duke. And also fuck Duke. See a demon in the eye and spit in its face Thursday. Oh, Sam got spicy in this episode. Let's go. I love it. All right. Go Beast.